Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Uh, are you stuck in a dinner rut? Uh constantly. Yeah. Well, listen, you can add some delicious variety to the mix with Green Chef. Green Chef is an organic meal kit that gives you the convenience of home cooking combined with fine dining flavor like, you know, your husband um, likes to do. Uh, They deliver premium organic ingredients already mostly prepared and easy recipes anyone can cook. They really do. They kind of do all of the hard work for you. We love Green Chef. Uh, I mean, listen, do you eat paleo or vegan? Are you one of those people? Do you live in Southern California? Oh, you're one of those people? I forgot. Uh, Well, you're in luck because Green Chef has seven meal plans to choose from with new recipes every week. And you heard it here first, starving for a Attention listeners, I'm excited to announce that Green Chef has a new keto plan designed for low-carb lifestyles. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah keto. keto. Yeah. yeah, that's what you need. That's like no carbs, right? Stuff like that? Um, keto, yeah. It does, it, it's like super yeah. athlete stuff. Yeah, it, I need it, to get on yeah. that. I can't believe they have that. I'm going to jump on that plan. Cool. Uh, so be among the first to try Green Chef Keto today and go to greenchef.us slash Richard and you'll get $50 off your first box. That's greenchef.us slash Richard. Richard, for $50 off. That's a tremendous deal. Uh, I love Green Chef, and you will too. I'm pretty sure of it. Podcast One presents Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze, an entertaining behind-the-scenes look at the world of food, where you'll hear from anyone and everyone from the culinary industry, including restaurateurs, TV hosts, celebrity chefs, producers of your favorite cooking shows, and many more. Now, here's your host, Richard Blaze. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Starving for Attention, a podcast focused on dissecting and analyzing all parts of the food world. The way a well-heeled judge on one of those reality cooking competitions evaluates a dish cooked in 15 minutes using only ingredients they can find in their grandmother's purse. We'll be talking to everybody who's anybody as well as a few nobodies. Speaking of nobodies, if you listen to that one Twitter troll, at least. I'm Richard Blaze, joined by Jasmine. Hi, Jasmine. Hi. And not in the friendly confines of our walk-in studio in Los Angeles, but live from luxurious Aspen, Colorado. And speaking of luxurious and well-heeled. It's an absolute honor that we have pried away from her busy, busy schedule, the super smart and talented Gail Simmons. Gail, what's up? Hi, how are you? How are you? I'm doing really good. I'm very honored to be here. Thank I'm you, just Richard. like shocked that we actually got you. Like, Thank you're you, that... Jasmine. I'm in demand. Yeah, you're, you're that <laughs> level of celebrity. Come on. Um, love... For you, anything. Oh, that means a lot. Um, well, good. For me, anything. Uh, for a second, I have a little bit of podcast business that I have to sure. take care of. I you tell read. me. Yeah, go I for it. I have to read a, a promo. Important here. people who... Make the show happen. Make the show happen, exactly. So speaking of food and wine, do you like wine? Uh, Do you know that uber-fascinating wine expert who's always been swirling and slurping, exclaiming that the Riesling has a little too much petrol flavor? Or asking if you, too, pick up the overripe lychee and garden hose notes and that cheap Pinot Gris you brought to their party? Yeah. Sommeliers are an interesting and sometimes drunk bunch. Some might say they're a group of pretentious assholes. Well, watch them battle it out in the newest reality TV beverage competition to see who can sword, decant, and blind taste with the best of them. From the creators of Starving for Attention, that's this podcast, tune in to the premiere of Winsom Lusom this Friday on Food TV. That's Winsom Lusom Fridays at 10 p.m. That sounds like a fun show. Sounds hilarious. It's hilarious. It's uh, obvious. It's totally not real. No. Yeah, yeah, obviously. but I'm into it. Would you? Okay. Would you? I would tune in for probably like a minute and a half. Yeah. Only a minute no, and a half. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say because I feel like it's got all the elements of what would be a great reality show. Um, alcohol. 
Yeah. Uh, people who are really passionate and yes. maybe kind of... And sort of douchey. A little douchey. Like, you know, a big, <laughs> like my sommelier in my restaurant, like big bearded, like Game of Thrones looking yeah. dude yeah. who like walks around with a special key and the sword. And like, I, I think it's kind of kind of could work. Would you judge that show? Oh, yeah. Definitely. I think it would work. I mean, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm envisioning sort of like the big brother... Totally, um, like, like fly they, on the wall effect. Exactly. Yeah. Because you got to see them in their, in their element. In. Mm-hmm. You lock them in. Okay. Absolutely. Um, so listen, um, everyone knows who you are, but I would love to just kind of get into a little bit of your like origin sure. stories. Yes. Like not, like not like Wolverine. Like Wolverine is also Canadian. I have an origin story. Yes, yes. that's true. And I know you've, you've told it before, um, but like how did you get to be like the Gail Simmons? Wow. Uh, that's, a, that's a big... Um, Intro to a not that interesting story. <laughs> oh, uh, you know, um, I never really set out to be anything uh, I, that isn't coming across very well. I don't know. The truth is it happened sort of serendipitously, which is, I guess, the best way for anything to happen. Um, I grew up in Canada. And when I was in college, I started writing restaurant reviews for my college paper. I loved to write. I loved food. My mother was actually a cooking teacher and a food writer for Canada's biggest newspaper, the Globe and Mail, when I was growing up. And she was an amazing cook, but it, to me, still never was something that you would pursue for a living. You know, she wanted me to be a lawyer. And when I was graduating college and all my girlfriends knew exactly what they wanted to do for a living, we sort of would go around the room and talk about our plans and our futures. And it dawned on me that I totally wasn't prepared and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my future. All my friends were going to law school and medical school and doing master's degrees or MBAs. And I literally had no clue. All I knew was that I loved to eat and I loved to cook and I loved to travel and I loved to write. And I moved home from college and my mother was very worried about me because I wasn't writing my LSAT like all my friends were. Mm-hmm. And I landed a job at a local magazine, uh, Toronto Magazine, beautiful magazine actually called Toronto Life. And I got an internship for the summer and I found myself drawn to the food critic because his was the most glamorous, amazing life. And you got to eat at all these beautiful restaurants and talk about food. And I kind of became enamored with the world of chefs. And from there, I went on to work for a national newspaper in Canada. And the same thing happened. I just kept being drawn to the food writer and the food critic and they would let me go with them to restaurants and follow them around. And ultimately I started writing some food stuff, little, little things here and there and asked the food editor if this was something I could do. You know, I realized I love to write about food. That's my beat. That's my passion. And he sort of looked at me and laughed and said, that's funny because you don't actually know anything about food, (laughs) which is, which, you know, at the time was pretty shocking. But if you think about it, I guess we all take for granted that when you like something that you are an expert and, you know, everyone is an expert, but truthfully, as you well know, Richard, it takes some hard work and study to become an expert in something and anyone can write, but to be a political reporter, to be a sports reporter, you need to understand the rules of the game, right? Sure. You can't really do it from your couch. And that's sort of what I was doing. I liked to eat and I thought it was cool, but that didn't know I mean I knew the first thing about cooking. So he inspired me to drop everything and quit my job and move to New York and enroll in culinary school. Not because I wanted to be a chef, but because I understood that I knew nothing about anything in the world of food. And to put it to the test a bit and see if this was actually something that I really wanted to do or if it was just a, you know, a, a fleet, like a fleeting passion that, you know, I didn't really understand. And once I got into it, maybe I wouldn't like. But it turned out I really loved culinary school. It was like food camp. 
Uh, did you go to culinary school? I did go to. I went to um, the CIA. Oh, I've heard yeah. of it. They they say yeah, it's the Central Harvard Intelligence of cook, Agency. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, right, you went to the CIA. Exactly. So yeah. you did a full like two year or four year. I, I did two years did two and then years. an extra year just um, instructing kids how to cook and cook right. fish. Wow, there you go. Yeah, super boring. So <laughs> well, I mean, necessary, important, yes, yes. right? Um, so I knew I didn't want to be a chef long term so I didn't want to go to the CIA and I felt like I really wanted to be in a city because for me that would be the way to make contacts and and be able to go out and write and eat and taste because I really wanted to write about food and so moving to New York City was like the ultimate dream come true and culinary school I went to what is now the Institute of Culinary Education sure at the time it was called the Peter Kump New York Cooking School and I loved it I mean it was a one year of food camp. I ate and I cooked and I met these extraordinary people and all these chefs came to talk to us and cook with us. And at night I could go out to restaurants and spend all my very little money on extraordinary meals. And it was a dream come true. But it was all, it was all in service of becoming a writer. Correct. Because at the time also remember like the internet was in its infancy. I mean, I'm really old. You and me both. On this podcast. Yeah, sure. Go for it. Yeah. Mm. We think they put like a uh, clown. Explicit. You'll be the first Fun. one that has an explicit rating. Perfect. It'll be amazing. So yeah. Gail Simmons, <laughs> under 18. You cannot listen to between you and Ellen Bennett. Yeah, you and Ellen Bennett, actually. Maybe. I'm sure okay. she did just fine. She swears like a sailor. So, um, yes, it was all because I wanted to write, but I understood that I couldn't write about something I didn't understand and that I, I couldn't actually do myself. Like, I realized I would be a, a faker. And at the time, there weren't any, there wasn't such thing as a blogger or a vlogger. There wasn't social media. There wasn't the internet where everyone was a restaurant critic. There wasn't really food television. I think, may, like, there was Food Network, but it was Emerald teaching you how to cook and, and maybe Bobby and Mary. You know, it was, it was the two hot tamales. There were the two hot tamales. And that was like, an and there was Ready Set Cook with Sissy Biggers. Yes. I mean, there were, you know, there was food stuff, but the food media wasn't what it is today. And the job I have now didn't exist. So for me, food writing was what media was. That was the only sort of real media that existed about food. Did you tell classmates classmates that you were like, I'm going to be a writer? I'm wondering like how that works in culinary school. Because even me, I'm old enough that like everyone there wanted to be a Michelin star chef. Right. Now I'm sure it's totally different because there's so many other opportunities. Exactly. Well, at the time... I, you know, I can't remember. Most of the people in my class definitely were on track to be chefs, to cook. Um, I think they respected it. You know, I was in a one-year program. And the interesting thing about the ICE, and I think it's still this way, is that unlike the CIA where you could go right at high school, to go to ICE at the time, and part of the reason it appealed to me is because it was a lot of career changers. You had to have either a college degree or two to four years of work experience in the real world to get into the school. So although it was a shorter, more condensed program, it wasn't for people who were like just out of high school and had no clue what they wanted to do and had never worked before. Most of the people in my class had had careers or had worked for a while or had college degrees already and then were deciding very purposefully that they wanted to be in the food world. So it it wasn't totally out of the box that I had gone to college, loved writing, and when I told them I wanted to be a writer, they kind of got it. Sounds like an MBA program. Sort of, yeah. yeah. So... That was awesome. Yes. But to finish school, I needed to do an apprenticeship. You know, you need to do an externship. And in my head, I wanted to just go right to Gourmet Magazine and work in their test kitchen. And then I'd be a food writer and it would all be perfect. Mm. But my career counselor at school explained to me that I still didn't know how to cook. And that just because I'd made everything once 
That doesn't make you a chef, right. as you well know, because I'm sure you get plenty of those in your restaurants. Kids who come out of the CIA in their first week, they think they're a chef, and they think that they've learned everything there is to know. Oh, yeah. I get molecular gastronomists. I bet too. you do. Yeah. I know you do. <laughs> so he convinced me that instead of going right to the media, that I actually go cook in a restaurant, because that's where I was going to solidify my experience. You know, everything I knew, I knew hypothetically, I knew theoretically and not practically. It's like you can't just graduate med school and do open heart surgery on your first day after graduation. So, right? Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not quite that dramatic, <laughs> but you know what I mean? So he convinced me to be a line cook. So, um, and then of course I took on a bit more than I could chew and I decided that for my externship, because I was a woman and I wanted to like be the girl who could go into any restaurant and I wasn't going to be hindered by, you know, the formality of the male dominated industry right. i chose like the hardest kitchen in new york city to cook in at the time which was le cirque 2000 which yes. at the time was a four-star restaurant um sota kun was the chef there danielle Ballou had just left to open danielle and sota had taken over and i was the only girl on the line and i was an extern so i was like the shit eater you know mm, yes. shit peeler more i peeled shit pretty much all the other. but it was invaluable and you know it kicked my ass every single day and it was a great experience and i ended up really liking being in the kitchen so i stayed for a while and moved on and cooked at vong which was at the time jean george von richten's restaurant uh, no longer open but really a trailblazing thai french I, the experiment. pioneer of the molten chocolate cake, I believe. The pine, well, yeah. if you ask Tom Clicchio, he'll inform you that Michelle Bra <laughs> um, perfected that technique in France many years before, and the Jean Jour took all the credit. However, yes, well, that well, place well, yes. was where it all happened. Exactly. Well, we'll, we'll give them uh, coconut uh, lemongrass chicken coconut, soup. Coconut lemongrass chicken soup and a lot of daikon ginger lobster rolls and uh, duck fried duck spring rolls. And I started in Garmanger there, and uh, I worked there for a while. It was a great kitchen, a small, really awesome kitchen. Again, I was the only girl in the kitchen, but I loved that team, and I worked there for a while on the line. And it was hard work, but it was really exciting because all the ingredients that I could cook with at Vong I had never seen before in my life. But then you get back to – you eventually get to where you, you want to Oh, be. yeah. That's right. I got off track. No, you're not then off I track did that. It's this a long is... story. It's a boring, long <laughs> story. Boring I warned all. you. Um, so, yes. So, ultimately, I cooked there for a while, but I knew that it wasn't my – it was still a means to an end, and it was time for me to get back to cooking. And as you know, as a line cook, your hours are sort of odd. So, all my girlfriends, you know, would be in bed by the time I get off, got off work every night, and all the guys I cooked with were going out drinking or getting up to trouble, and I didn't want to do either of those things. But you can't really go to bed right after service. You know, that's like – it's true. like going to bed at 6 o'clock at night when you get – home from work. So uh, I read a lot. And one of the books that I read that sort of changed my life and my perspective on food was a book by Jeffrey Steingarten called The Man Who Ate Everything. And it was extraordinary. And I'd never read Vogue magazine in my life. And I knew nothing about fashion. But he was the food critic at Vogue at the time. And I read this book and I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. I want to be his assistant. I want to work for this man. He's a fucking genius. He's probably the best food writer of our time living today. And, um, so I went back to my career counselor and I said, do you know this book? This guy is amazing. And how do I work for someone like him? And my career counselor said, that's funny. I saw Jeffrey yesterday and he's looking for a new assistant. Wow. So I like, I literally did everything, but anything illegal to get the well, job. He, 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 and he's, he's super demanding. Oh, like I've yeah. only done a few things with him. I'm sorry. But I, I mean, like I've watched him check into a hotel room. I know. 
and so felt sorry. bad for the concierge. Like he is, is he it, is. Is it like um, the Devil Wears Prada? Is it like it, that? Well, interestingly, interestingly, sort of. He's a little more esoteric. He's not as together okay. as uh, as Anna Wintour. But I will say that the year that I was his assistant for two years, and in my first year as his assistant, one of my good friends at the time from Canada who had grown up with and gone to summer camp with was Anna's assistant. She had two assistants, a first assistant and a second assistant. And she was the first assistant. And the girl who was the second assistant was the girl who wrote the devil wears Prada Uh and was writing it about my friend as the first assistant. If you remember that Emily Blunt character, she wasn't exactly like that, but you know, there are rumors about how those characters are created. Um, and sh- and so that was all happening. That was the ye- those were the years of the Devil Wears Prada, and I certainly got to sort of get an inside view into Vogue magazine. But I was rest assured the only girl assistant at Vogue magazine, like in an old navy T-shirt with like goose fat running down my shirt. Now at this time, was this uh, when Steingarten was like judging Iron Chef and stuff? Oh, it was or long before. Long that. before that. I told you I'm really old. No, you're not. But I'm just I'm I'm curious now, like sort of tying together the fact that he's. Also a uh, TV competition judge and personality. Well, sort of. He was anyway was, for a and, few years. And also like was super harsh. He is. I would say. Takes himself very seriously. Kind of the opposite of your yes, judging style. Yes. I don't think anyone thinks you're hypercritical. No, I don't think so. Except I'm going to try to be fair. Contestant. Right. Well, there yeah, you but go. That was you just were scared me. shitless. Yeah, exactly. But I was much more intimidating back then. Um, well, it's interesting. What happened with working for Jeffrey is that he is incredibly passionate and brilliant but he sort of teaches like as a mentor his philosophy is negative reinforcement so instead of when you do something right congratulating you i mean it's much like working in a restaurant and you know the classic french chef way of doing uh, things yes. you're never going to get feedback when you do it right you're, you're only going to get feedback when you do it wrong you're supposed to do it right right <laughs> why would i compliment you on exactly. doing your job it's just your job <laughs> exactly so that's how jeffrey operated and so i definitely learned from that school of teaching and it was a very harsh place to work in that sense but it taught me a lot and he introduced me to everyone under the sun and I did all these extraordinary things with him I mean we would spend one month just perfecting a recipe for pizza dough and then another two months just making caco van with the perfect aged rooster from the from the chicken farm that I would have to procure every morning um, or you know he would travel to Thailand for a month to learn about pounding curry blends and I would spend, you know, four days searching Chinatown for the perfect mortar and pestle. So it was an extraordinary education. But one of the biggest lessons that I think I took away back to your comment, Richard, is that I learned how not to lead by negative reinforcement, I think. You know <laughs> nice. what I mean? Sort of backfired. Thanks, it, Jeffrey. I mean, there aren't too many people who still, I think, are right. getting teaching away that way. With, yes, getting that's away true, with true it enough. is probably more true enough. Than, So connect the dots right. from so, there so to... I'll keep it quick, but ultimately I worked for him for two years and then I was like, okay, I'm ready to go back to now go take that job at Gourmet Magazine and I'll be a food writer. Perfect. Um, and that was right after 9-11 and media was going through a big, difficult time. There were no jobs to be found. I was Canadian, so... If you remember back around 9-11, it was very, you know, people were very weary of immigration and sponsoring visas and the um, Homeland Security was invented at that time. And so no one was really willing to take on the government about sponsoring some like 24-year-old or 25-year-old kid from Canada to get a visa to work at a magazine in a junior editor job, except one man was willing to take on me, I guess. Uh, (laughs) 
I had gone to speak to Danielle Boulou just to pick his brain because he had been so nice to me when I worked for Jeffrey. I'd come to know him because we'd worked on a few projects together and he'd sort of taken pity on me. And so I went to pick his brain to ask him because he knew everyone. He could introduce me to Ruth Reichel or, you know, anyone in the entire world to help me get a job. And he was like, you know what? We actually could use someone like you. I've got three books I have to write in the next three years. We're opening four restaurants. Um, I'm doing a line of cutlery and, and knives and I have... Um, we do, you know, 15 special events a week and I need a junior person on my PR and marketing team. Would you take the job? And that was not what I wanted. My path was to be a food writer, but it was Danielle Blue. Right. So I said, yeah, of course, I'll take the job. I'll do whatever you want, but I need a visa. And he was like, oh yeah, no problem. We have a immigration lawyer on staff. I'm French. I'll easily get you a visa and just come work for me and do all this stuff because my team is growing really quickly. And I'm wondering help. if our paths, because I worked at Danielle. I know you did. Around I, that I, time. When were you, what years were you there? Uh, I was you remember? like um, the t- uh, 2000, two, yeah, 99, 2000. So probably before then. Yeah, or, I started 2002. Okay. April 2002 until the end of 2004. So two and a half, little, almost three years. I'm going to edit this, though, so that our paths cross. Yeah, perfect. Like when we do the movie version of <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll be yeah, in the same kitchen. Of your life, because totally. the movie will not be of my life. Well. I am a little person in your life. Sure. Running just, around the kitchens at Daniel. Of course. Like, oh, is that Richard Blaze yeah. back there? Little did um, I know. So then... Um, uh, it was an extraordinary time, for that matter. Like, 99 to... I mean... So let's say 2005 in the kitchens of Danielle. If you think about the people who came out of those kitchens, it's like unbelievable. Every major chef in America, it feels like has a connection to those kitchens. Those I times. think so. Well, they were also, they were big kitchens, right? I mean, they were. a lot of people. Yeah. I don't think people understand how many people come yeah. through the, those kitchens. The, the, it's the true. Danielle. It was amazing. Um, it was an amazing, almost three years working for him. I did all those things and I got to kind of get my MBA in the restaurant industry. So that was exciting because I had always worked theoretically like I'd worked in a kitchen, but when you're that junior in a kitchen, you don't understand the balancing of the books. You don't understand what it takes to run a restaurant business, right? And then working for Jeffrey, I mean, he had an unlimited budget and he could do whatever he wanted and just write about beautiful things. But working for Danielle, even though, of course, he's extraordinarily decadent and luxurious in his cooking, it was like the first time I got to see how restaurants are operated and that was an amazing education. Unbelievable. Um, hey, guys. Wow. Listen, uh, I need a break from all of this. This has been kind of crazy. Um, and also, I need to buy a car. I'm actually looking for a car. And there's something about TrueCar a lot of people don't know. Using TrueCar, you can also uh, buy a used car. In fact, there are over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from TrueCar certified dealers nationwide. Whether you're looking to buy new or used, I'm not sure yet, you can get upfront pricing information that empowers discounts off the list price for used cars and a better buying experience through our True Car certified dealer network. I mean, I think I mentioned, right? There's over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from True Car certified dealers nationwide. You'll see what other people paid for the car. So uh, you can know what a fair price is and you can feel confident. With True Car, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience, which is something that I love. I want like a one-stop shop. True Car provides that. Using True Car, you can easily find the new or used car that you want. True Car will show up and they'll show you what other people in your area pay paid for the same car you're looking for. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel ever so confident. Over 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users. That's a lot. By the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network, and there are over 13,000 TrueCar Certified Dealers nationwide. Uh, When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. 
Here at Podcast One, we love hearing from you. We read every tweet and comment you send our way. So don't miss your chance to take our summer listener survey. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner or go to podcastone.com slash my survey. It only takes a few minutes and it gives you the opportunity to make a direct impact on your favorite shows. Tell us how you really feel so we can get to know you better. We value your thoughts and participation. So check out the survey at podcastone.com slash my survey or click on the survey banner on podcastone.com. You're listening to Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze. So where where are you when you get the casting right. call? So then, so basically what happens is I worked for him for several years. I love it, but I need to move on. And at the time, I came to know the people at Food & Wine really, really well through all the stuff Danielle Ballou does. Danielle Ballou was a, a Food & Wine Best New Chef in 1988, the first year ever. It was him, Rick Bayless, Thomas Keller, Hugh Bear oh, Keller. Man. No one knew who these guys were at the time. They were like the young guns. And so he was very close to people at Food and Wine, and I came to know them because I was doing all the PR and marketing for the restaurant. And one of the guys from Food and Wine who had this really cool job, his title was Special Projects Editor, and he did a bunch of different stuff for the magazine, and he came to me and said, I'm leaving Food and Wine to open a restaurant, and I think you'd be great for the job. Would you come interview with Christina Gerderich, who was at the time the vice, the vice president of marketing, and Dana Cowan? And I was like, this is my chance to put it all together, to become a food writer and do what I've been kind of aiming to do the whole time. And so I did that and I interviewed with them and I got the job, but I didn't really know what the job was. turns out it was a marketing position, which was great because I had all this marketing experience from, from Danielle and I you know, could do it at a magazine. And very soon after I took the job, I realized that part of the job was also doing stuff on television because the guy whose job I took was the guy who kind of represented the magazine, cooked and did cooking demos for morning shows. And sure, but the, all but those little things. But it was morning shows and segments. Totally. Little did you know. Right. About a year <laughs> into the job, doing a few of those here and there, Bravo came to Food and Wine and said, "We have this crazy idea for a show. Um, would would you guys teach us about the world of food? We want to do a food competition about the real life of chefs, but we know nothing about food. We they had just done Project Runway sure. about fashion and partner with us." Help us learn about the world of food and chefs. And in exchange, we'll put the magazine on camera. We'll, you can give part of the prize, the Food One Classic in Aspen. And in exchange, if we like one of your editors, we'll put them on the judges panel. If. If. If we like one Oh, yeah. Them. And so I went to do a screen test at 30 Rock. I sat in a room like the size of a closet with this super creepy guy named Dave Sirwatka. <laughs> right. And he held a camera <laughs> and asked me a bunch of questions. And three weeks later, called me and said... We're going to shoot this show called Top Chef. Would you fly to San Francisco and be one of the judges? That's, so now I'm, I'm assuming they casted a, a number of people. Were there other people from Food & Wine that did that? There were, yes, there were about four Ooh. or five other people. We okay. don't really talk about it anymore. <laughs> no, that's not true. Uh, they're all good friends. None of them are at the magazine anymore. They've all gone on to do amazing things. Right. Um, but, you know, it was a combination of, I think, you know, I had had a lot of media experience working for Danielle. And I had, I had the background. I'd gone to culinary school. I'd worked on the line. I'd worked for... Danielle, it was like the amalgamation of things was what they were looking for. And actually, only thinking about this in retrospect, I had done a lot of theater in college. So as much as in the, in a million years, I never dreamed of being on television, I had a lot of public speaking experience. And I think it just, I don't know. It, they asked me to do it. I had never even fathomed going on television before. And n- no way you had any idea that 10 years later, you'd, you'd never. still be... No, doing a I, show 12, it's been 12 have, years. 12 years? Yeah. That you'd have Emmy Awards? No, 
None um, of it. That this would become it changed my life. A major part of yeah, your life. Completely changed. I mean, not just a part. Like it totally took me on a trajectory that I could have never anticipated in a million years. So now in the show, twelve years, I, many, yeah. I don't even know how many seasons. Fifteen seasons. Fifteen seasons. Yeah. And it's kind of the show, and and I'm a little biased. Of course. Um, Thank you. But I it's kind of the, the show. We made you, Richard Blake. You made me. And we can break. Gail you. Simmons no, made Richard totally. Blake, and she can break <laughs> break me right now. <laughs> Um, no, that's not true at all. But 12 seasons, 15, whatever it is <laughs> later, um, you've changed everything in the food. How do you feel about the growth of food television around Top Chef? You know, there are times when I can be pretty curmudgeonly about it because, right. you know, you see a lot of copycats and you see how you start something and you're the trailblazers and then you become the grandparents. And it's easy to be like, those crazy kids these days with their silly reality TV shows. Right. Truthfully, that's... The job of Tom Clicchio, not of Gail Simmons. The job of Gail Simmons <laughs> is to be the cheerleader, and I, I, I'm so the job super. Of Tom Clicchio is to be the curmudgeonly grandpa. That's Correct. Oh, I just wanted yeah, to get just, that. Oh, so we're saying, and everyone but knows adorable, that. so adorable. Um, no, he's you know my bestest mentor and friend, but um, but you know I, I I am a cheerleader. I think that's my role in the show, and I think that's my role in the industry. I am not a chef, but I dwell among them, and I feel like my job both on Top Chef and at Food and Wine and, and in the industry is really to be that sort of like chef translator and cheerleader for the industry. And I'm so proud. I mean, we started, we didn't totally start. I mean, Iron Chef was on, the Japanese version was on right. before us. Uh, we sort of took it and ran. We, you know, but a lot of it is the credit of Bravo and, and the Magical Elves, our production company, for sticking to it and making it about professionals and really culling incredible talent. And I am so and I don't mean this to be condescending. I'm so proud of the contestants that have been on our show. I mean, you guys, this sounds grandiose, but I really believe that Top Chef contestants have changed the economy of American restaurants. Wow, that's big. I do feel that way. I mean, yeah. look at what no, you've done. It's like unbelievable. Yeah. I, I think it's amazing too. I mean, even like our, my colleagues and friends. Yes. Even a lot of the people who didn't really perform that well mm -hmm. on the show are now like have empires. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of my that people that were on my Del Talde is a great example who did, yep. did good on the show, but right. you know didn't win, didn't get to the end. But like, is now literally like running an empire. He's unbelievable. Spike Mendelson. Yeah, uh, I mean, there, it, uh, we could go on uh, and on. So many, and the, and the depth but is incredible. You're right. The depth is incredible of any reality show, and I'm not even speaking about food reality. I'm talking about music and fashion, and you know, can you name five contestants, let alone winners, from any other reality show that have gone on to the success that the Top Chef contestants have gone on to. Part of it is because the barrier to entry of owning a restaurant, running a restaurant, is a lot easier than getting a record contract. But it's not just about being able to successfully open a restaurant. It's about the longevity of, of an industry. And you're perfectly right. I also think that some people, just because you're on Top Chef doesn't mean you're made for that kind of competition. Like you, Richard, and you know a handful of obviously other finalists and winners not only can cook in the real world but have a penchant for that sort of competition and you got to yeah. understand the game. And not everyone is good at the game, but that doesn't mean they're not great chefs. And they've gone on to do the most mind-boggling, amazing things. I'm the weird – I'm the weird – I'm like I'm good on the show, but not really great. In right, well, you life. can't really. Cook. That's <laughs> it was true. like I was I'm the odd nice. person. Yeah. Yes, I appreciate. No, but that. it's it is it's a gift, it's a talent, and I think there's so many so many amazing cooks that have come off of our show and done great things, not even in the biggest ways, but like I, I tell the story a lot. I think he might have even been on your season, and now I'm forgetting. 
but I was like in Burbank a couple of years ago and I just wanted to get lunch and there's like nowhere to eat where I was working that day and someone suggested I go to this tiny little place for soup and sandwiches and I walk in and it's the most beautiful little shop and they're making food that is like way better than it needs to be. You know what I mean? Like simple, simple food, like, you know, fresh juices and salads and sandwiches and soups, like lunch stuff. And it's so beautiful and perfect, this great place. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I discovered this diamond in the rough. And a guy walks out of the kitchen and it's like a contestant from season three. You know what I mean? And It's the guy with the red beard. Yes. Um, (laughs) It could have been. That could have been someone from any season. I'm like, I'm blanking on his name now and I and I apologize for that but I'll look it up later and tell you and and he and I was like you're just killing it like this is awesome because he's doing his thing and he's doing it well and he has integrity and it was a great place and I was so happy that it doesn't matter where you go I mean we've created an industry and we've created a a consumer or a viewer who now like travels the country to seek you guys out what about your like I'm curious about like your personal growth now that you like because you got that locked up like Top Chef is just something you do you could probably do it with your eyes closed I think you have done a few I, episodes with your eyes closed prefer um, actually with my eyes closed you guys um, aren't that good looking but it's, it's like me it's like okay well you figure out how to cook and then you figure out how to right. be a chef of a station and then maybe you run one restaurant now you have two restaurants you want to keep growing yeah um, like I just personally as a fan of the show and a fan of you like I would I want to see more Gal Simmons oh you know um, thank so you. like I, I'm sure like the judging is like fun but like what are some of the right. other passion sure. projects that you have yeah. now? It's taken a while to figure out um, a little bit of what to do with it because I didn't anticipate. I didn't really have a plan. Just like I didn't have a plan when I first set out to go to culinary school. I didn't right. really have a plan when I was on television and all of a sudden you have a larger platform than you think you had. And I'm not like pulling a Dave Chang and being like, well, I don't know. I guess I'm now running a business. Oops, I just changed the world of Bow, I don't know. Like, that's not what I mean. But um, it took a little while to figure out what I wanted to do with it because my head was so in the, I want to be writing for a magazine and I want to be a food writer. And now all of a sudden I actually could do more than just be a food writer. Right. And I didn't know that there was more. And then such a huge industry has grown out of food media in the last 10 years since we started the show. And so how, where's my place in it and where do I fall? Well, um, I actually enjoyed doing television. I find that I love the reach of television and that you can educate people at such different demographics uh, than I knew was possible. So that's exciting. But I always am a little bit, I want to be a little bit picky about the TV that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I never have been the girl who wants to necessarily have like the recipe show. I love to cook and I spend a lot of time cooking. But it's hard to find shows that, that aren't food competitions and that aren't sort of like the dump and stir just recipe shows. Right. Um, and so finding things in the middle is, is tricky. And so because of that, um, I have a business partner named Samantha Hanks. And about three years ago, we founded our own production company and it's called Bumble Pie Productions. Yes. Yes. And we started creating our own content and started making show television shows that, uh, spoke to us and I'm not always on them. Uh, actually the first show that we sold to the food network had nothing to do with me at all. I just produced it. Was that star plates? It was called star plates. Yeah. yeah. And, um, it was just about kind of creating content. I mean, originally another piece of the industry that's very important to me is, is the place of women in the industry and not because I want to get on a horse and like, or a soapbox and scream about the, the inequality of women in food. It's not, I understand why the industry is, male dominated for many 
very valid and complicated reasons. But these days, because the world of food is so big and media has such reach, there's so much more opportunity for strong female voices. And I still think they're hard to find. And so Samantha and I are really focused on finding great young female voices to do interesting things in our industry. And so that's been exciting, finding young talent in media and then also just developing projects that we're excited about. Um, And it's not just um, traditional television anymore either. I think we can do so many things in digital and alternative cable. So that's a big thing that I have been really happy to do. This is me speaking to you and kind of like looking for advice basically. But um, like you, you had mentioned, like I'm not, my office. I'm not the, I'm not the dump and stir girl, right? Like to right. me that like that's really yeah. resonates with me because like yeah. it's hard to find out like, well, what is that thing that people right. think I am? Right. And do you, do you have like, do you struggle with yeah, that? Yeah, I do. You know, like I, you're just all sorts of amazing. Like well, if I just said like, what is Gail Simmons? What's her angle? I'd be like, just all sorts of amazing. Right. Be- but nothing at all. <laughs> Jack of all trades, master of none. That's no. how I feel some days. And I think I'm really good at talking. I'm a real yapper. I can yap with the best of them. And I can really cook, but I think that people don't know I can cook. And that's part of it because most of the viewership that sees me just sees me like in a cocktail dress, sitting behind a table, being real serious with my like resting bitch face. But you, you, don't, know get, I mean? you don't get a lot of it. What does she know? What does she know well, right? I think years later, people have come to accept me as an authority, whether they want to or not, right? because I push them into it. Um, and, and I think that some of it's just the passage of time that now I've been on the show so long that people know me from Top Chef. So they respect Top Chef. And so they give me that credibility. Most people don't know that I cooked in kitchens. Most people don't think they don't think about the fact that I actually cook. So that's something I struggle with a lot. And because I want to cook and I love to cook and I love to sort of spread the gospel about good food and quality food and sustainability and, and the restaurant industry and actually, and also, which is why I love working with Food Wine Magazine, which I still do, and working on Top Chef is because their missions are really aligned in that they're all about discovering talent. And that's what I love most about this industry is finding young people, men, women, chefs, bloggers, I don't care who you are, but if you have a point of view that's unique and interesting about food, I want to know about it and I want to learn about it and I want to tell people about it. So, um, but where does my skill come into that? And so... I think getting back into the kitchen and cooking, I don't want to run a restaurant. That's one thing I never want to do. Really? Okay. Because you could easily. I'm assuming like throw your name on a building yeah, in Vegas. Yeah, I, I mean, sure, that's what I mean. I, right. I, sure, those are opportunities if I really wanted to go that route. It's not what I want to do, mostly because I feel like I've just sat on the sidelines watching how totally difficult and humbling the restaurant industry is. And I would much rather be a person the person who could cheerlead it and um and be part of it but i i don't i what about the merch it's so hard it's so hard to run restaurants are you in the merch game yet i'm a little bit in the merch game and what what are you doing um you know i'm working on a line of products not cookware and not hard tabletop but hopefully soft tabletop that i'm excited about that's really beautiful um but more than that i'm coming out with my first cookbook this year which is really exciting. I've worked on probably four or five other people's cookbooks, but never felt, I guess, the ownership to write my own. Um, I've always sort of had this feeling, and I'm sure you can relate, of like, well, what can I show people that no one else is doing? Like, 
someone else can do it better than me and it's such a crowded marketplace and like what do I offer and does anyone really need my hundred recipes when I'm sure those recipes are just as good as someone else and it's very easy to second guess yourself when you're in your own head so which I know Richard so, never does say, this sounds <laughs> exactly um, like right. uh, yeah. um, so but finally it took me a long time to sort of work up the energy I wrote a book four years ago called Talking With My Mouth Full which Great was title. really about the story thank you I came up with the title during our season six finale in Napa nice I was riding to a challenge and I was talking with someone I said something about how I'm just like the girl who talks with her mouth full and realized that was a good book so I had the title before I had the book but that was sort of like the story of how I got to where I was and how the industry sort of paralleled my opportunities in it um, and the rise of food and popular culture but it took me another two to three years to work up the energy to actually feel like, you know what, I have way more than 100 recipes and a lot of amazing stories to tell. And I want to show people how I cook and what my point of view on cooking is. So I'm finally doing it. And the name of the book is? It's called Bringing It Home. Bring It Home. And that's, uh, it's coming out any day. It's coming like, out yeah. in October. Yes. Yes. It's coming out October 24th. I'm really excited about it. It was a labor of love. As you know, books take a long time. I don't know if I'd say love. It's a labor. Yes. True, <laughs> true enough. It, it is a process for it's sure. It's an enormous amount of work. Um, and it's such an intimate personal experience, which I knew going into it. But then you do it and you're like, wow, what was I thinking? Um, but I, I'm really proud of the book. And it's really an amalgamation of my culinary adventures, my travels around the world, the work I've done on Top Chef at Food and Wine with Danielle, with Jeffrey, but also my childhood, um, my travel, and all of the inspiration from all the people who've taught me about food over the years, and taking all of those little lessons or flavor combinations or techniques I've learned, time hanging out in the airport with you, or traveling to Singapore with Dana Cowan and David Chang and Tom, or you know, sitting around with Danielle when our flights have been delayed or whatever, or sitting at the judges table for hours on end, even learning from our contestants and taking all of those little tiny pieces that I've learned along the way and bringing them home to make really like approachable, applicable lessons for the home kitchen. Unbelievable. I can't wait to get the book. Um, I'll and send it to you. Yes, I can't wait. And uh, amazing things. I mean, congrats on the production company. I think that's just Thank you. Outrageous. We're getting there. Uh, congrats on everything with Top Chef Thank because you, like, you are a true star. Well, we like to play at the end of our, our pod here a, little, a couple little games. Are, right. you, are, you, are you up for a little I'm game? I'm always up for a game. Okay, so uh, this is our version of, you've heard, um, the, well, our version is called Marinate, Shuck, or Grill. And it's our version of marry uh, for kill, yeah. right? Um, Wait, let me just like wrap my head around marinate. Yeah, so marinate, yeah, marry. Shuck means... Shuck, take it all off. Yeah, uh, here you go. And grill, kill, right? Got so it. marinate, shuck, or grill. Got it. Starving for attention edition. This is going to be our marinate, shuck, or grill uh, chefs over 50 in New York City Wow, edition. what are you trying to say about me? No, it's just, it's just, you just happen to walk up on this I just want to say I'm not Chefs that Chefs over 50, okay. not you. Fine. The, 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 <laughs> the people we're talking about. Great. I'm assuming are over 50. I could be wrong. Okay, here we go. Uh, marinate, shuck, or grill. Jonathan Waxman. Danielle Ballou. Jean-Georges Von Richten. Oh, my God. It's a tough group because... I'd want to marry them all. Yeah, I don't, want to, I don't really want to grill yeah, any of those men. It's and yes, tough. they're all over 50. Yeah. Oh, there we like, go. You're safe. <laughs> nice, you're safe nice. there. Yeah. Um, God. Well, I have to, you know, you know, they make me play this game with you, Padme and Tom, all the time. I know. So, you know, so like, I, I, I hate to know. put you on the spot, but it's, it's okay. I mean, like, that one's kind of obvious. It, I feel it, like when anyone plays that no. game, it's usually obvious. No, no, we, I think, I think I married you last time. Thank you for the citizenship. I, right. I appreciate citizenship. that. Yeah, You're exactly. all welcome. I was around election <laughs> time. I married you for the dual I citizenship. I appreciate that. Yes. <laughs> My mother would love to have you up in Canada. <laughs> yes. Um, I guess I'd have to 
First, we got, you, let's start. I think we start with you. Want to? Where do you think we should start? Which one? Marinade, chocolate, grill. Okay, you go. It's your. It's, it's the. <laughs> I think. I know you're right. This is yeah. a really tough okay. one. Yeah. I'm going to shuck Jean Georges Van Gerechten. Yes. I know the others too well, and uh, you know he's handsome. And he is a handsome. Hasn't man. aged a day. Yeah. I'd like to shuck Jean Georges Van Gerechten. I mean. It's really hard. Danielle was my boss, and I'm, I love him so much. So on oh, the one hand, I want to marry him, but that's weird because he's my boss, and he's kind of like my god. You know, he's like my fairy godfather. But also, he gets all up in my mise en place. Always, you know what I mean? Always, yes, yeah. He was my boss too. I yeah, get it. I yeah. Get it. So maybe we'd grill him. Okay, just we're a nice Daniel medium Bullitt. rare, well seasoned, delicious. Oh, I just think we're a multiple, like just sorting champagne bottles. Yes, exactly. Continuously towards him. But that makes me marinate Jonathan Waxman, which wouldn't be so bad. He's a lovely man. No, no, I think that's kind of cool. Keep me warm at night. Like, yeah. I feel Weird, like you just have, like, it's like kind of like hang out in the house in sweatpants. Like, totally. And like cook awesome yeah, vegetables. Yeah, we could just stuff watch, like that. watch Netflix together and <laughs> not talk. My favorite out. part of the classic this year was uh, someone really looked good. I forget who it was. And I was like, you look great. What are you doing? He's like, surprisingly enough, I'm on the Jonathan Waxman fitness thing. Yeah. And I'm like, what in the world yes. is that? You know, it's so funny you say that because I was talking to Jonathan Waxman this weekend and we were talking about vegetables or something. And he was like, well, because, you know, I'm on this like vegetarian vegan thing. And I'm like, no, I don't know. What are you talking about? Yeah. So apparently Jonathan Waxman has like kicked his ass into gear. I mean, I, I, he looks great. I didn't realize. Like, Always, I guess right. he's lost some weight and he's yeah. taking it very seriously. Good for him. Yeah. And it's like, what is it? It's some, it's, it's sort what of is, like you tell exotic me what it is. dance slash yoga. I have is no, like, no one really explains it. Amazing. It doesn't have a name. It's just like the Jonathan, the Jonathan Waxman, Waxman thing. thing. Wow. Um, he's going to well, make a million dollars. Um, last thing. Yeah. We like to play this game called 86. Get it out of here. It's 86. So it is, it is, what, no you know, more. in the kitchen, it means you're out of it, it's done. Yeah. Uh, what are a couple of things that Gail Simmons is just over? They are 86 in her, in right. her place. Uh, I want to 86 the waiter who asks me if I've eaten in his restaurant before, and when I say no, oh. explains to me how to eat in a restaurant. Yes. So yes. here's what's going to happen I'm going to give you a menu, and you're going to read it. <laughs> and then, you know, it starts with smaller plates, and they get progressively bigger. And then I'm going to take your order and you're going to choose a few things that you want to eat. And then I'll bring them to you and you'll eat them. Yeah. And I want to shoot him in the head. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So 86, that guy. Too much of the, the waiter spiel. Much, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well said. Gail Simmons, 86ing the waiter spiel. But not waiters, right? No, we need waiters. Okay. And, I, and I'm, I, I respect and admire their hard work and dedication as professionals. Yeah. Just stop talking. The ones that can't take the cue. Of, right. I've eaten yes. before. Yeah. I'm Gail, a human. I know how to eat. Gail Simmons, thank you so much for hanging out with us. And listen, we have a survey. That's right, a survey. You can help my podcast stay free to download with minimal ads. Uh, responses will help align the appropriate advertisers to our audience. Uh, and the survey's short and completely anonymous. It takes no more than five minutes. That's not a lot of time. You need to do it. There are two easy ways to begin the survey. You can go to www.podcastone.com slash my survey or go to www.podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. If you filled a survey out in the past, hey, listen, we thank you, but we still need you to do it again. You do all of us an amazing favor by filling it out. So thank you for supporting my program and for taking the time to complete the summer survey. Everyone, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can go to Podcast One, uh, download the podcast, and then rate it, and rate it really well, because the, the better you rate it, the more episodes we get to do. Uh, you can find us on social media at Starving for Pod. That's Starving, the number four pod, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all of those things. We'll see you soon, and stay hungry. Stay hungry.
Thanks for listening to Starving for Attention with Richard Blaze. Download new episodes every Tuesday on the Podcast One app, Apple Podcasts, or PodcastOne.com. Hey everyone, it's former WWE host Lillian Garcia. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever wonder how your favorite stars make it to the big time? Then come check out my new show, Chasing Glory with Lillian Garcia on PodcastOne.com. Hear me chat with some of your favorite athletes and entertainers about their rise to the top. It's about to get real, raw, and inspiring. So join me for new episodes every Monday on PodcastOne.com, the new Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts.